Yo, and welcome in to week three of pre-gaming the SEC brought to you by Walk-Ons Sports Bistro, Jacob Hester, Chris Doring, and the Big Terp here with you yet again. And we've got a fun one planned for this episode. We've got our guy TK, Takeo Spikes, set to join us. Big matchup, Auburn, Penn State is going to be on the plains. Can't wait for that matchup. But my goodness, did we have a week two CD. We have a lot to cover. There were some games that were good if you're an SEC fan. There's some games that were pretty bad if you were an SEC fan. So we've got a lot to get to, my man. Definitely got a lot to get to. Hard to believe it's already week three, as you kind of uh, talked about there, man. I think we wait so long for the season and uh, in the offseason, and all of a sudden it's on us and it flies by. So part of what we do here, man, is get an opportunity to make sure we dive in and, and enjoy both what happened in the in the last week's games and looking forward to the next. But uh, you know, I think before we get to, to TK, it's time to talk a little bit about uh, those outstanding performers from last week in our Hold My Beer segment. And that's exactly what we are going to do. The moments that we all were in all of, individual performances, team performances, coaching performances, whatever it is. And I'm going to go ahead and pass my beer, hold my beer, Stutson Bennett. Not Stetson Bennett, Stutson Bennett. <laughs> Ever since he got the fade, he put on the gold chain. This is a different man. CD, can you imagine the confidence level that Stutson Bennett has? He has always had to look over his shoulder. He's had to leave Georgia. He was about to go to Louisiana Lafayette with Billy Napier. Then he gets a chance to be a scholarship player at Georgia. They put him at like 17th on the depth chart every single offseason. Mathis starts a game instead of Stetson Bennett a couple of years ago, like all the situations. He leads him to the first national championship in 40 plus years. Even then, people were calling for someone else. Even this offseason, the man won a natty. And what was the rumor? George is going after Caleb Williams. Yeah. Every time he turns around, he's trying to get replaced by someone. But finally, it's his team and he is thriving. And yet again, he has another 300-yard performance. It's against Sanford. I don't care who it's against. That's two weeks in a row that he's not just a part of the offense. He is the offense. He's yeah. a director of the offense. He's making plays. Man, I'm so happy for a kid like that. I know you are as well with your story. That is my man, Stutson Bennett. Yeah, I'm glad you mentioned that because uh, I relate to him as a walk-on and what that chip on your shoulder does to motivate you and also to keep you – kind of focused, you know, once you achieve success, you know what it took to get there and you're not going to give up. You're not going to become complacent. You're not going to let anybody creep up on you. And I think that's what I've seen from him is the desire to keep getting better, keep getting more. You got the national championship. Let's go get two. And, and right now I look at Alabama like the, like the voters do, or excuse me, I look at Georgia, like the voters do the number one team in the country, because not only does the defense look as amazing as they have through two weeks, only giving up three points total in eight quarters, but you're seeing an offense that's much more aggressive throwing yeah. the football more. You're seeing developing playmakers on the outside in addition to those tight ends. And you're seeing a guy in Stetson Bennett that is incredibly calm, cool, and collected and in control. Like he, he looks like he's just out there having fun distributing the football. And I'm, I'm, I'm enjoying watching this this last season for him there in Athens because I know how much it means to him both as a, a guy that walked on and a guy that's been a lifelong Gator fan or excuse me Georgia fan I was thinking to myself 
I know it as a life. No, it, it's a lot of your story. No, I get it. It, yeah. it is. You feel passionate it about it. Yeah, no doubt. I get it. Again, 24, 34, 300 yards and a touchdown in these games. We've all been through them. It's hard to have that type of performance after you beat up on a team like Oregon, a top 15 team, a top 11 team. You come back, though, you take care of business because if you're Stutzen Bennett, you're not taking anything for granted. So hold my beer, Stutzen Bennett. Yeah, I'm going I'm gonna, to I'm gonna give my hold my beer, my first hold my beer to, uh, to something I didn't expect to be saying. And that's to the Tennessee defense. You know, we talk an awful lot about Tennessee's offense and Hinden Hooker and Heifel, yeah. what they're able to put up in terms of numbers, throwing the football and the, the tempo that they used. Well, the reason they won the game in Pittsburgh against the Panthers on Saturday was because of that defense. You go back and look, it was 10 nothing. Tennessee was on their heels. They get yeah. pressure on Slo Slovis, and he throws a, an interception in the end zone. Flower is able to pick that thing off, and instead of being 17 nothing, it's 10 nothing, and, and Tennessee goes the other way and makes it 10-7. That was a huge play, but you know, it, it, look, at, look at the way that they harassed both quarterbacks all day long. Four sacks, nine total tackles for losses, 16 quarterback hurries in general. Like They got after it. I didn't fast. know if Slovis was going to make it through. Like, I didn't know if he was going to be able to walk off the field. And, yeah. and he didn't. He didn't finish no. the game. No. I mean, they were mauling an offensive line that returned all five starters in pit. Yeah. Mauled and, and, and they made an adjustment, too. Early on, you saw them with a lot of uh, man pressures that Slovis was able to get the ball off and, and turn into some positive plays. Then they started, they started mixing in some zone pressures and giving them some different looks and able to get home and, and limit some of those big plays. I thought the game plan, the in-game adjustments, and the execution were amazing. And uh, you, you're, you're talking about now a team that can win games in two different ways. They can win it by scoring points, or if they're not able to go out and score a lot of points like they did in regulation, they had 27 yeah. points in regulation, they can win it with the defensive effort too. No, I like that one. That's a really good one because it's probably going to go a little unnoticed with what they – Done offensively with Hinden Hooker being the star, with Tillman out there at receiver, but that defense, you're exactly right, CD. They deserve a lot of credit because they were, again, beating up an offensive line that I think a lot of. And Keaton Slovis was standing tall for a little bit, but he was tired of it. He was tired of getting hit. The backup was tired of getting hit. It's a great job by Tennessee's defense. All right, my second hold my beer goes to Raheem Sanders, Arkansas running back, 24 carries, 156 yards, two touchdowns, six and a half yards per carry. K.J. Jefferson, and he deserves them, is going to always get the headlines. He's the QB, 18 to 21, 162. It was Sanders that wore down South Carolina. As a running back, the biggest, the biggest compliment I can give you is when you make the defense say, no Moss, I don't want to tackle him anymore. I am tired of hitting him. He did that to South Carolina. And I think South Carolina has the right mentality. So when you do that to that type of defense, that goes a long way with me. I got the hairs on the back of my neck standing up talking about it, man. I loved watching it. It was a gutsy performance. He wanted all the smoke. In fact, like at the end of the game, I felt like he's even running better. Like he's just leaning on this Gamecocks defense. Raheem Sanders, if he plays like that, look out for Arkansas. They they even go up another another level to me if he can play like that because he gives them something special. Yeah, it, it's amazing. And, and, you know, part of what I wanted to talk about was Arkansas's run game. I'm going to talk about the lines of scrimmage for Arkansas. You know, imagine a former offensive line coach 
wanting to develop an identity of toughness on the lines of scrimmage, right? That seems out there. Yeah, not so much. It's exactly what Arkansas has done under (laughs) Sam Pittman. You mentioned it. You know, not only did Sanders have a great game, that entire run game, they rushed for 295 yards. They completely controlled the line of scrimmage and against a team in South Carolina that actually did a pretty good job against Georgia State's run game the, the week before, a dangerous Georgia State game. Yeah. And then you go on the other side of the line of scrimmage. They owned it on the defensive side as well. Six sacks of Spencer Rattler got after him time and time again. Didn't allow him to, to really get uh, comfortable at all. Cur- hurried him another six times. And I just, I, this team is, is impressed me two weeks in. I think Arkansas has the best resume of any team in the conference right now with wins over Cincinnati yeah. and South Carolina. There's nobody that I think has the bragging ability through two games that uh, Arkansas does. And it's a little surprising to me, to, to be honest. No, I think you're exactly right. I mean, that's a bear of a schedule. They still have games that they definitely have to circle on their schedule. I mean, multiple games, including a non-conference game against BYU, who's able to beat Baylor over the weekend but man this identity is not hard to figure out we know exactly who they are and they don't try to hide from it and Sam Pittman kind of joked with us and Destin in the spring meetings about the schedule they had but he didn't run from it he didn't try to shy away from it he knows what it is and he's going to tackle it head on and it's uh man it's it's impressive the quick turnaround that Sam Pittman's had I mean not winning a conference game for multiple years now you're beating up on conference opponents just a legend my man, Sam Pim, just wants not cold only, beer. You're not beating them up. Beer. You're physically assaulting them, yeah. like becoming this team that was, like you said, getting beat by Western Kentucky and getting beat by North, well, Texas. North Texas at home. And San now Jose you're, State. Yes, you're, 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 you're manhandling conference opponents, which I think is very impressive. All right, CD, your last hold my beer goes. That was to, it. That, that was, was it. it. I, was, I was going Arkansas lines of scrimmage. And, and so you talked about the, uh, the, the run game with Sanders. I was expounding on that with oh, the uh, the lines of scrimmage. This is a, wait, this is a moment. The receiver picked the line of scrimmage for his hold my beer. Yeah, I, I went oh, defense. I went defense I love and it. line of scrimmage. Like you oh talk about a guy gosh. that's evolved right in front of your eyes. This, this is guy. great. Yeah, this is great. This is a real moment. Mark the time. Pre gaming the SEC year two, episode three. Mark the time. We've really grown here. No passing game. No quarterbacks. No wide receivers. Just uh, yeah. you know, getting to the heart of what the, uh, yeah. the important stuff is here. Yeah, we're about to get the last call, but before you know it, CD's going to have a fullback on his hold my beer. <laughs> Do they have fullbacks anymore? Chill oh. out. <laughs> Chill out. All right, now it is time for last call. And this week we have a special last call. We have our first guest of season number two, a former teammate of mine, now a teammate, of Chris Doring's on the SEC Network, my man, Takeo Spikes, TK himself. Yeah, he's got the Auburn gear on. He is ready for the big matchup. Auburn and Penn State, TK, my man, it is good to have you on pre-gaming the SEC. Listen, man, it's about finally damn time. <laughs> CD, I'm, I'm, listen, I'm about to take take back all friendship cards. Dude. I'm going to take it back anyway because why did it take so long for the call, fellas? Yeah, it's a good point. It's a good point. I think uh, sometimes out of sight, out of mind. Now that you and I hang out every Friday and Saturday, I'm like, you're the first guy I'm leaning on because we've we've had so much fun already. And it's funny you mentioned, Hess, you were a teammate of his. I played against him when he was a freshman. I was a senior at Florida. And then we played together a brief stint when I was in Cincinnati. So, like, the, the crossover for all of us has been there. But the opportunity now to 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 have him on this show – and. He obviously gets it, right? He gets uh, pregame, and he's, I see him with the cocktail. I don't know Absolutely. if you guys 
can see, but uh, you know, I, I got my Gator logo cup. You can't there, little little clear liquid for you boys. But uh, we need to do a we need to do a segment called "What's in the Cup" or something. So we do a okay. cup check. Cup check. That's yeah. What I mean, I, I don't cup hide check. too far. I'm I'm cold Coors Light here, TK. <laughs> yeah, hey, hey, Coors where, Light. Where do where do you think I learned cold Coors Light and where it became a favorite of mine? Who do you think taught me that? Uh, it 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 sounds like uh. Um, is listen. Former quarterback of yours. Former quarterback. It used to be a quarter. Hey, it used to be. He used to be. Ah, damn! I can't even get it out. I'll let y'all end this bit anyway. But shout out to the shout out to our dude, man, Philip, man. Yep. We used to have some cold ones, man. Like we used to have good conversation. I remember just telling him, like, bro, there's nothing else would be better at the moment if I had a nice cold. I ain't gonna even give him props right now because I need to get a sponsorship from him. <laughs> but it was a cold adult beverage. Baby. There you go. There you go. Hey, smart man. A smart yeah. man. You don't give anything away for free. So I can get behind that. All right. So this is last call. What's, what's that? What's that hat you're wearing there? Is that a uh, Detroit, Bengals it's a, hat? Or? It's a Detroit Tigers throwback. But since oh, I knew we were hey. having my guy on, I knew TK. They got a big matchup this week. I mean, it's a Tiger. And as you can see in the background, I'm all about Tigers. Not not an eagle, but a tiger. And so we buy hey, look, look TK. TK got the tiger on as Nobody well. You told me we were wearing with tiger, tiger on. I, yeah. It left me out of the tiger hat situation. Well, I mean you know, the, it's a big week for us, baby. It's a big week. We need every we calling everybody. Do, do you feel Air connected? Force, in all seriousness, do you, do you feel as connected to the program now? I mean, it's it's funny as as coaches go on, you know, when I, when Coach Burry was still at Florida, I felt ultra connected and then yeah, you have different coaches that kind of invite the players back and, and some of them mean it more than others. But with, with Coach Harson and, and where the program is now, how is your inclusion into what's going on there and how connected do you feel? I I feel pretty connected. They invited me back, I would probably say a month ago. They you know, they've done a pretty good job inviting me back. So I just spent some time with them, man, and, and spent like a day. And uh, you know, Coach Harson is cool. I think the best words that I can truly say about him is he's all about ball now. Like he ain't hard ain't politics. Like he he's trying to grind and find a way to win. He ain't finna sit over there and give you 15, 20 minutes of conversation. Like he all up in that. And so I can appreciate that about him. And uh, but yeah, they do a good job, man, of keeping me connected. And 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 so I don't I don't have any complaints right now. You know, we gotta get through this game this weekend. Yeah. And it might be a different story. Honestly, you're a little more connected than probably you used to be, too, with some familial attendance there now, too, right? With uh, with who in attendance? Your daughter? And your daughter? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> you forgot about her? Yeah, your daughter's yeah. going to school there, right? Isn't that isn't that the best compliment you can have? Is is your daughter having that same love for the university that you went to, man? Well, technically, she told me she didn't like. Hey, it's my decision, and I just want to <laughs> let you know. I'm just like. Motherfucker, I got mine. You need to get yours. Don't <laughs> telling me. Get out of here. But yeah, man, that, that helps. It definitely helps. Hey, CD, I mean, you got your daughter there, Florida as well. See, I'm the one. So, TK, my four boys all go to school on LSU's campus. It's just like CD. CD went to campus or school on campus there at Florida. My four boys go to campus, and I'm a little worried, man. They might want to change the scenery, you know, once they become college age. They've been on the same campus their whole life. I'm, I'm about to tell them four rascals, hey, you ain't got no choice. Unless somebody else pays for it, 
you ain't got no choice. You're going to LSU. That's a great choice. That's a, you know, that's a great uh, headline to put in front of them to keep them reminding that, hey, man, it's okay to stay at the house. You know, you can have the same experience or even better than Pops. Ain't no doubt about it. All right, TK, here's what we do in this segment. We call it Last Call. Obviously, uh, our show is centered around having a little fun. That's why we call it pre-gaming. That's why we call it Last Call. So since you're our guest, you get to go first. I want to know your biggest takeaway in the SEC in week two. It can be any team. It can be any subject you want to go. Ain't nobody going to tell you any different. Your biggest takeaway, last call on week two. Last call, biggest takeaway. Um, maybe Texas A&M is not as good as we all thought they were. Maybe. Ain't no maybe. <laughs> hey, you know what I mean? Like, hey, I think, App State held that thing for over 40 minutes. Yeah. And, you know, so – for me, that's the that's the biggest surprise, I would say, for me, just looking at uh, year in and year out what they've done over, since Jimbo has been there in the recruiting. Uh, you know, having top three recruiting classes since the year that he came in. So I think that will be the biggest takeaway. I, I will say this. I still, they got, listen, they got the players. It's just a matter of everybody just buying in and doing the little things right especially after going back, looking at the tape. So that, you know, that they got the players, they just need to put it together and everybody need to quit taking turns at saying my bad. Hey, let, let me ask you a question. Now, both of you guys are close with Jimbo Fisher. I've heard a lot of criticism over the last few days of him as a coach. And you know, that old saying when much is given much is expected. Right. And so he's been given a ton of money and the extension and all the facilities and the recruiting budget and everything else. But, I thought it was a little unrealistic to expect them to have the type of season that a lot of people thought they were. I didn't think they were the number six team in the country in the preseason either, but I've heard criticism of him here recently more than louder than I've ever heard it before. What are your thoughts to about, you know, him, his, his play calling and where that team is just in general, how much of the blame do you think he, he shoulders at this point? Uh, I, I think, I mean, yeah, he, he he definitely deserves some blame because he's the head coach, like, regardless of it all. I can tell you when I turn the tape on, because I, I don't – this I, if I know a good coach and I like him, I'm going to find out, okay, I hear everybody talking about his play calling. I hear people talking about um, maybe like management of certain, you know, certain times on the field, the type of plays and all of that. I took a look for myself, and what I saw is, of course, it starts at the top, but I think when I saw some of the players, CD, the thing that stood out to me, I felt like a lot of the players were just taking turns at making mistakes. I don't think when I look at Haynes King, I thought he would have played better. And it goes to the point that y'all just said a few minutes ago, this team is still young. But I think in order for them to have success, they got to grow up real fast. And I mean, especially at the quarterback position. I'm, just to even give you an example, I was just charting from the Appalachian State game, and I got wrote down just in the first half like six bad passes, you know, a six and then three wrong reads as far as where the ball is supposed to go. So, no, I'm not saying it's all on Haynes King, but I do believe I look out and see Evan Stewart, the wide receiver. If you just run straight ahead, you get the first down. You try to juke a guy. 
now the pursuit came behind you, you fumbled the ball. Yeah, that's not high school. You can't yeah. you can't do that in the SEC, which is interesting. But I, I going back to your your observations of Haynes King, you were at practice, right? You went to College Station this offseason, right? Yep. So yeah. w- what I see when I turn the tape on is a guy that doesn't look comfortable, that is late on just about every throw that he makes, and so clearly doesn't understand, like you're saying, where the ball's supposed to go. And I know there's other people that took their turns to contribute, but one. Is this a case of a guy that looks great in practice that can't carry it over into the games? And two, is it time to see Max uh, Max Johnson at this point? I, I I do. I think it's. I think when we look at Haynes King, this is a time to where I think you try to simplify it as much as you possibly can. Just in, you know, not necessarily. My thing is, I just question how much is given to him. That I don't know. And I think that will allow him to be able to play faster, especially with some of the key pieces around him to be able to have success. I don't know if you necessarily, uh, you know, I don't know, man. It's it's baffling to see, you know, especially having a chance to, and even when I saw him in practice, like, I mean, they just they were game planning at that time period because I went there so late. So it's yeah. it's not like you really could see anything from that side. But I thought he led the offense well. I think he takes command of the huddle. I think the messaging is fine. I just think it's the a little attention to details for me, what I see in this team where they're struggling at and it's coming back to to bite them. Hester, I think the thing to remember about Haynes King is something similar to remember about Anthony Richardson. Like Anthony Richardson started three games in his college career. Haynes King, I think what has now started four and, and Ooh, one of right. those he didn't finish. Uh, yep. So we're talking about a young guy that's still progressing. And I think Hester, I mean, you were around him more recently on the same team. Like uh, Jimbo Fisher has been known for developing quarterbacks. He's, he's tagged as the quarterback whisperer. Like, do you, do you think that he hadn't had, a, he hadn't had been able to have, a ton of success with any quarterback. Kellen Mond was probably the most successful. Right. And he's the one he inherited. Like, where are your thoughts about where the quarterback position is at, at Texas A&M over the last couple of years? Well, I mean, certainly this year, I mean, Kellen Mond had his time this year. It's you take a look at it and it's like, okay, you have Haynes King. Max Johnson has had a lot of really good moments in the SEC. What was he like? 28 touchdowns, six interceptions a year ago, 2,800 yards. He beat Texas A&M when he was at LSU. I was surprised in that game there was not a time where they went to Max Johnson. Like Haynes King, like you mentioned, he's won that job twice now. So Jimbo, you know, obviously likes his skill set. He's only got four starts. You've got a Max Johnson who has a year and a half in the SEC and actually at a really high level. But there's just a there's a lot of things in the Texas A&M offensive staff room that have me questioning a lot of things, okay? Because remember, you had some shakeups in the offensive staff. You moved Daryl Dickey from quarterbacks to tight ends. You moved James Coley from tight ends to receivers. You moved Damian Craig from receivers to quarterbacks, right? I mean, there was a lot of movement in the offseason. You were trying to kind of place coaches in areas you thought it gave the offense an advantage. And Jimbo came out, and this is a quote that surprised me because, TK, you know this being on the same team as him as well. I never thought there would be a time when he didn't want to call plays, but he had a quote. I wanted to call plays for three, four, five years, whatever it took to get established. We have an offensive coordinator here to turn it over or to hire, whatever it may be. That was in my five-year plan. I never thought I'd hear a day that Jimbo Fisher didn't want to call plays. I thought I don't if like he's it. coaching on the sidelines, he would be the play caller. And so now he's talking about evaluating. That's the quote. 
evaluating everything, including him calling the offensive plays, which I never thought I'd hear from Jimbo. Yeah, that is surprising. And But what I will say, if you do have somebody who is as headstrong as Jimbo coming out saying that uh, he's taking the accountability to say, you know what, ain't nobody safe. I need to look at what I'm doing too as well. I think that speaks volumes. And going back to what you said, CD, you asked me, is it time to see Max Johnson? Um, you know, maybe. I, I, I do think it won't hurt, you know, especially at this point, because what I see is this. I know Jimbo and, and the offensive coordinator, they love the, love the ability of Haynes King, period. His ability, if things break down, he can scramble and get out of the pocket. But that offense really is predicated off of moving the chains down the field yeah. with certain key progressions that you get in your offense. And, and you know, and if you have to, last minute, of course, you get do what you can do. But it seems to me either the protection is breaking down up front with a couple of guys and then, you know, fumble quarterback, uh, running back exchange. And then the third thing is just not making the proper read. So uh, I, it wouldn't surprise me if we were to see you know, an appearance from Max Johnson coming up this week. All right, that is TK's biggest takeaway, uh, CD. I'm going to steal this one, not give you an opportunity to maybe steal this one because you probably know where I'm going. My biggest takeaway, my last call, Kentucky is a good football program, not just a good football team. There is a difference. You can be a good football team and be a flash in the pan. Yeah. That's not what Kentucky is. Yeah. Kentucky is a good football program. You go look at 2018, they're 10 and three. You go look at last year, they're 10 and three. This year, they go to the swamp and they get a big victory. Florida had all the momentum. They beat Utah. The game was at home. We talked about it last week. Florida wasn't going to have what we thought could be a letdown. If you were on the road, they were in the swamp. Mark Stoops, another. This is like my 12th tip of the cap to Mark Stoops and what he's done with that program. No Chris Rodriguez. Will Levis doesn't play great, but you find a way. The tagline, TK, that I use for Kentucky, too gritty to be pretty because it doesn't matter how it looks. It doesn't matter how it gets done. Kentucky is a damn good football program, not just a good football team. They are my biggest takeaway. They had expectations coming into this year, and a lot of people that had never really been there would fold but they've been there. People need to realize it. I am, I'm tired of talking about Kentucky being a good team, a good story. That's patting them on the head again. We talked about it last yeah. week. They don't deserve a head pat. They deserve an attaboy because they are there and they're going to be there all season long. And that's Dude, my biggest takeaway. I told you guys when we were in Atlanta, they're the third best team in the SEC. I, and maybe, yeah, maybe by when it's all said and done, they could be the second best team. But I, I, I go back, I, I predicted – Kentucky to be 11 and one this season. And maybe that was a little aggressive, but I think first and foremost, the schedule is very kind to the opportunity to, to get to, to a double digit win season in the regular season this year. I also think that, that this is a, maybe the best overall team that Mark Stoops has had. You talked about it. You know, he, he's built a program. You have a guy that a lot of people think can be a first round draft pick he, and, and he didn't have a great game, but man, you watch that touchdown. He threw to Dane key. He flicked that wrist and it went about 55 <laughs> yards in the air with no effort whatsoever. So he's got the skill set. Yeah. He's got a bunch of, of, of players around him at the skill positions and that defense. I, I, I'd be interested to get your opinion on this, Takeo. I think Kentucky 
has the best linebacking core in the conference. And I know I'm putting you on the spot right now, but I mentioned it yep. the other night on the show. Or actually, I was on the on our Monday morning show. You look at what they have, right? They got J.J. Weaver. They got Jacquez Jones. They got DeAndre Square. They got uh, Jordan Wright. Those four guys, th- that might be the most complete linebacking core in the entire conference. You know what? It, it might be. And fair to say, I think the one thing I will say is this. I haven't had a chance to break them down completely yet. I've been going through some other teams, but they are definitely on my breakdown list for tomorrow morning. But what I've seen just watching the games as how we watch them and breaking down from an analytical standpoint, I think they they cover every or check off the box in every aspect when you look at these guys. Playing on a 3-4 defense is very hard in college. Why is it so hard? Because it's not definitive when it comes to where your gaps are. You play an even front, meaning you have a nose guard over the center and you have two ends who are playing head up on the tackles. And sometimes some calls will tell them to slant certain ways. So that's a whole lot of processing information, especially if the ball is coming one way. But what about what happens when the ball goes the other way? Now your gaps totally change. And you have to be able to you know, readjust and redirect, especially if you get the tight end moves over and change the strength of the, the uh, offense. So that's what makes it so hard. But the other part of it, too, is being able to communicate and understand. They really run a true three, four. I don't think one guy is like designated as the rusher every time. I remember certain times both guys were dropping and you, you kind of see that's rare. But then also you see one guy coming, another one rushing, and vice versa. So that's what makes it so hard. And then the other last thing, what really makes a 3-4 work. Every time I've had success, it's always about the nose guard. Because if he can't stop the center from trying to reach and go next level, I don't care who you got. You can have me back there. They coming up yeah. on me, coach. They coming everywhere. Yeah. Let, let me ask you a question. Both of you guys, I'm going to moderate real quick. Let's start with you, Takio. Defensively, do you enjoy, did you enjoy playing in a 3-4 or 4-3 better as a linebacker? 3-4. 3-4? Because I played the week inside when I first got to Cincinnati. I loved it because it's equivalent to playing a wheel in a 4-3, meaning yeah. you have more p- coverage and pass responsibility. Then I came back and played it later in my years, in year 11, 12, and 13, when I was with um, San Francisco. And so I had the chance to see it from the Mike perspective right over the center and I got the tight end still in my vision line. So um, I enjoyed it because it's cheap points to it. If you get your if you get your linebackers, outside guys, to set the edge, inside guys, you really don't have to run. And that's the beautiful thing with having that nose guard to make it cut right back to you. So, you know, you can get a lot of mileage and it's so hard to block. I know, Jacob, you probably can attest to this. You know, did you like seeing a 3-4 or 4-3 when you played against them? Hell no, I didn't want to see a 3-4. I hated going against a 3-4. And so while you were talking about Kentucky, I'm sitting there thinking, if you can play a 3-4 in college, that would give me nightmares as an offensive player. I hated playing against TK and Patrick Willis and Alden Smith out there on the edge as an outside backer. There's just so many different things, CD, that you have to account for when you're going against a 3-4. There's the the front and everything. Let's talk about that real quick then. More challenging in the run game or pass protection? For for me, it was both. 
Like for me, it was both because I was going to end up on a guy like Alden Smith in a three, four that I had no business being on. I mean, you're talking <laughs> six, four, 200 and <laughs> whatever <laughs> pounds. And th th that should never be the case. If I'm going against the Pittsburgh Steelers, it's me versus James Harrison or Lamar Woodley. It's me against Terrell Suggs. If we're going against the Ravens, you know what I'm saying? Like it creates mismatches and you got guys out there playing three, four outside backer that are as athletic as you bigger than you and stronger than you, right? They go against offensive tackles, but it creates mismatches against tight ends and backs. And there's so many different things you can do in a three, four front and TK's right. Now it all goes to hell. If you don't have a zero nose, that's a dog. I mean, you got to have a dog, not just a dude, because a dude looks pretty in his uniform. A dog does everything he's got to do to eat. And if you got mm -hmm. a zero nose that will do it in a three, four, it frees up everything for every backer. So imagine if you've got that dog, guys like TK and Patrick Willis that are sitting there playing inside linebacker that are free. They are free roaming to be able to do whatever they want. So to, to, uh, to point, like, man, it just frees up your best player, which is going to be your stack backers. It frees up those outside linebackers to thrive against running backs and tight ends. And yep. it all starts with the zero nose. You got to have him, but if you got him, you're going to have every advantage in my opinion. Shout out to Justin Rogers. We talking about your yeah. boy. Nose tackle for the Kentucky Wildcats. Yeah. Highly touted hey, one, too. Go back and watch that defensive line. They were impressive on Saturday uh, in terms of penetration and getting after Florida. You know, I thought they had a great game plan. If you go back and watch what Brad White put together, a lot of vision coverage, making sure they got eyes on Anthony Richardson to not let him beat him in the, in the uh, scramble game, uh, discipline rush lanes, and certainly a lot of uh, – give looks when it came to some of the read options. Now, I would like to have seen Billy Napier call a little bit, talking about head coaches calling plays. There's been a lot of discussion down here in Florida about uh, him, you know, whether or not he can continue to call plays and be the head coach at, at Florida. But um, I definitely think you, you look at the stat yeah, line. CD for, already? Yeah. Dude. That's what I was thinking. One game. I, you, they beat the number me. seven team in the country. You heard before you even coached the game. <laughs> He would, they, they were criticizing his recruiting. Like I, I've, I've been vocal about how upset I am with some of the fan base at Florida, but uh, you go back and look, throwing the ball 35 times is not a recipe for Florida winning with Anthony Richardson at the quarterback spot. You got to find a way to run him more and you got to stay in more manageable situations on third down and even fourth down, which Florida was very prosperous in against Utah and which they were not against Kentucky. All right, CD, we've given you our biggest takeaways, our last call. TK had AM, I had Kentucky. What yeah, my, are you slamming the door on week two with? My biggest takeaway is the Alabama game. I mean, it, it, Tequila, you and I talked about it ad nauseum on Saturday in the studio. That was not a Nick Saban-led Alabama performance, right? 15 penalties, the most in the history of, of Alabama under Nick Saban. You look yep. at the, the drop balls. You look at the, the mis-assignments uh, in pass protection. Now, the, the defense did give up some plays, but I will give them credit. They're probably the main reason outside of Bryce Young why they won the game. Five those corners. Red zone, CD, five red those zone corners better. Hey, deeper than the deepest. No doubles. Yeah. Yeah. Be careful there. Five five red zone trips, though, and they only gave up 16 points. So left uh, Texas within reeling in district uh, distance for, for Bryce Young. And, you know, the guy's Superman, right? We talked about it on Saturday night. His ability to, to, to make guys miss three blitzers multiple times making dudes miss is not something you can necessarily draw up as a coach. So I, I did like to see some of the, the, the receivers making plays in the fourth quarter, but they don't have a guy. They don't have a guy to stretch the field like Jamison Williams. They don't have a guy that can put fear in the defense. You know, they, they 
the 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 I think the leading receiver from a yards perspective outside of of uh, Jameer Gibbs was 39 yards that one of the wide receivers had. That's just not going to cut it consistently. So uh, offensive line is still an issue for them. Receiver is still an issue for them. Hopefully they get Earl back and and Harold back. But right now they're uh, certainly looking more susceptible than I ever would have imagined. Now, fortunate for them, they've got Louisiana Monroe and Vanderbilt coming up in the next two weeks before they go at Arkansas, Texas A&M, at Tennessee. So they get a little bit of a break on the schedule. Maybe they can get some of those guys back. Maybe they can figure some things out because you're right, CD. They're going to need somebody. And, and TK, obviously, you can jump on this too, being a defensive guy. If, if you don't have that guy that can take the top off the defense, it condenses everything, and I don't have to play the entire field until you prove that I have to play the entire field, which they had – when Alabama was going against everybody else the last couple of years, they've had that guy. They've had two guys to be able to do it. And so you're terrified of what they can do. But when you kind of know that it's going to be condensed and, and necessarily like in the box compared to what it normally is. I thought that guy would have been Jermaine Burton, to be honest. And, um, you know, for me, I, I want to go in more, but I, I think the reason why I'm hesitant is not because like, Oh, I don't want to talk bad about Alabama. I think it speaks more of the, you know, more of a compliment what Texas brought to the table defensively too. I think we can't forget about that. CD, you even brought that up. You know, you look at the game plan that they had. They won up front, obviously, with the exception of that last scramble that Bryce Young had. And I thought defensively on the back end, they did a wonderful job of understanding combo coverages and being able to lock down the receivers, it was almost as if I personally thought Texas coaching staff outcoached Alabama. And you can see it when you see defensive backs not even scrambling. They're talking calmly with hand motion, knowing the route was coming. And I that was a true sign of knowing, okay, Sark went ahead and was like, you ain't the only one who knows how to be able to it ain't what you know as a coach is what you know as a coach is what your players know from what you know. And I thought he did yeah. a wonderful job of giving that game plan to them and executing it. I think we can all agree, Hester, that uh, Texas will be back. I think Sark's an amazing coach. I think he got even better during his stint there in Tuscaloosa. And, and you know, that that's an SEC environment. I, I don't care yeah. what people have said about Texas in the past. That That is oh, an yeah. SEC environment, and I look forward to them and Oklahoma joining the conference here soon. Yeah, I spoke with someone that was at the game, and they said I was looking. It was actually Brady Quinn. He said I was looking for the Alabama section. I was looking for the crimson sliver in the stadium. He said it wasn't there. He said, and this isn't against Alabama. This is just Texas showed up, and they showed up being a three-touchdown underdog and still fought like hell in that game. That was a very impressive performance. All right, that's going to be our last call. A lot of big takeaways in the SEC. It's kind of hard to narrow the choices down with all the action that we had in the SEC. All right, quickly, let's pre-game week three. Not as sexy of a slate that we had in week two, but we still got some games to talk about. And I feel like it has to start with the team, TK, that was your last call. It's got to be A&M. They got Miami coming to town. It does not get easier. They don't get to come up for air, TK, until yep. November the 19th when UMass comes to town. I mean, they have got a damn slate ahead of them. And it starts, again, it started last week with App State. Now they got Tyler Van Dyke and Miami coming to town. 
forget who who's coming to town. Forget about it being Miami. Forget about them being who they are and the quarterback they have. I mean, this feels like A&M has got to show out in this stage because if they don't, that's a cycle that's spinning the wrong way, and I don't know if they can stop it with the SEC slate coming. Oh, no doubt, man. And this is the other thing, too, just to simplify this. So when you look at the loss, Appalachian State, now we all know they have a very – that's another good football program. Oh, absolutely. a team. Imagine just the perception of what people think of Appalachian State, number one. Number two, it's – Okay, if Appalachian State beat them, even if you got guys straddling the fence just unsure, when they see that, they're like, oh, we about to take it to them. So now you got to fight off all of those little, the ones who didn't believe, now they jumping on the bandwagon with the team. And so for me, I think this is going to be the stronger, the strongest test probably of A&M, of Jimbo's Fisher time is just, how can he settle down and be able to get these guys to play up to their level? Looking at defensively, you going back to the last game. I want to say they they were they gave up on fourth down out of five tries, they gave up three conversions. You know, on third down, it was hold on, I wrote it down right here. Yeah, three out of five on fourth down and nine out of 20 on third down conversion, a little bit under 50% conversion rate that they allowed the opposing team to con- keep the football. How much of that was on the offense, though, the inability to, to convert, having the defense on the field as much as they were? I'm interested. It, it's not great complimentary football by any means no. that they were playing. And then you look like overall, did their defense do a good job? Yeah, they did. But this is where it gets – if you're on the field, they, was, they were on the field, CD, for 88 plays. Yeah. So as and, much and, as we – AM had what 35, 38 total plays, something crazy. It was the yeah, I think it was 38, 39, yeah. Was yeah. Ridiculous. So like like we can, you know, we not we and me and you, but people can play the blame game. But ultimately, if you ain't getting your ass off the field on third down, yeah. like you ain't getting off on third down, that ain't yeah. got nothing to do with the offense. Yeah. Hey, real quick though, uh, I don't know uh, this this matchup's appropriate because I don't know if there's two overhyped preseason teams <laughs> in college football than A&M and, and Miami. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Yeah, I, I'm a little surprised as, as Big Turp put up in the chat that A&M's a five-and-a-half-point favorite after what we saw on Saturday. But you're right, Hester. You look at the rest of their schedule. Arkansas, Mississippi State, Alabama. Let me go back. Arkansas at home, at Mississippi State, at Alabama, at South Carolina. Goodness. Home against Ole Miss at home against Florida, at Auburn before playing that. I mean, let, let's talk about what we think is possible. This could, be, this could be a team that struggles to get eight wins. And I think it's interesting yeah. because I said the same thing about LSU after that Florida State game. I don't see a win on the schedule that I'm willing to, to mark down as a guaranteed win for the Aggies or for the, the LSU Tigers. I think you're exactly right. When you laid that out, I mean, that that is – maybe the most difficult schedule remaining in the country. And so that's why they had to beat App State. That's why they had to beat Miami because of what they were going to have in the SEC. Now, they're going to win some of those games, without a doubt. They're going to win some of those games. They ain't going undefeated. They're not going undefeated with that slate, with what I saw on Saturday. And so now it's, okay, you were 8-4 last year. We put you in the top 10 because of the all-time recruiting class. And I realize it's young guys, but, guys, the game's different than when we played. When we played, mm-hmm. a lot of really good players, elite players, redshirted. 
That's not the case anymore. Guys don't redshirt. Guys are expected to come in and help you win this year. And so you're you're expecting some of those, you know, all-time class guys to be able to help you in this season. And we'll see if they can because they better. With that slate, you just roll it out there because, again, it's not going to get any easier. And there's some teams in the West that are figuring some things out, like the Arkansas Razorbacks that you've got coming up in Arlington in a couple of weeks. Let's go to uh, let's go to the next uh, big matchup. Are we, hey, saving, should, we saving Auburn for last? I was about to say we're saving Auburn for last. So <laughs> I mean, we we know that's coming. I think the other one definitely that we need to hit is LSU and Mississippi State. Mississippi State, we talked about them, probably the most undervalued team in the SEC, and we said that before coming in to Week One. And there's no surprise when you look at the experience chart of who was coming back. They had the eighth most experience in the country coming back, the most experience in the SEC. They returned 85% of their production from a year ago. I realize they lost a first-round tackle, but within that offense, and TK, you know this, it's five going against three all the time. You don't need to be the best offensive lineman when you got five of, of, of you and only three of them. And so that's really not going to be a huge loss, even though it's a really good player. And Will Rogers, he's not – a system quarterback. He's not Cliff Kingsbury or, or B.J. Simmons or even Gardner Minshew, who's, you know, got talent as well. Will Rogers is the most talented player at that position that Mike Leach has ever had in his career. He has the most talent. I think he is the guy who has the best chance to play on Sundays of anybody that Mike Leach has ever had. Hey, this is a it, big moment for them. And, and most underrated as well. You because everybody at, just assumes. Well, they assume, but also, you know, they have a little bit of that Pac-12 syndrome, right? Where they're playing the Memphis game finished late because of, of weather. Last week, they didn't kick till 11. So people really haven't seen what Will Rogers has done. And now he's, he's surrounded by veteran guys that have played in that system for, you know, a year or two heading into this season. And they understand the looks. And, and Takia, we talked about it on, on Friday night's show, like I just his accuracy and what he allows the, the the receivers to do after the catch with where he puts the ball is is exactly what you need in this offense. And, and you pair that with a defense that has a lot of experience and Zach Arnett, who I think does a great job as their coordinator. I I really believe that this team can win potentially nine or ten games and be the be the old miss of, of 2022 the way they were last year. Like I just I I I have a lot of of uh of praise for this entire team. And I don't think people are, are really acknowledging that right now, Takia. No, I, I agree with you. And for me, I, I like to look across the air raid offense. You know, that's always the number one thing. And it really, it, I haven't broken them down as much as I want to, but from the game, even looking at who they play Arizona last week, right? Yeah. So when you look at them and, and this is what I have for you, Chris, when you look at them, across the board, like what makes them so hard to defend knowing that they're not coming into the game looking to necessarily run it, but they just – shit, Will, Will, Will Rogers will, can easily have 50 attempts a game easily. Oh, yeah. Uh, that, that's uh, Given the fact that they're not going to just hand the ball off and run it with the running backs. Now, you go back and look at historically – the running backs are usually the leading receivers on any of Mike Leach's team. So they get the running back the ball. They just do it a little. Oh, that's a run play. A swing it, pass is a tall sweep for them. A, a swing pass, a, you know, the way they check it down on some of the things. Like, I think it's ironic, Hester. Like, literally, we're going into the, the first time 
that Mississippi State's going back to Baton Rouge since KJ Costello set the record in the conference for passing yards in a game. And at that point in time, you know, LSU chose to to play man coverage against oh, gosh. them. Against bunch formations. And I ain't got, never seen yeah, anything like they, it. They got picked to death, right? All day long. And then all of a sudden, Barry Odom, when they played Arkansas, decides, hey, we're going to drop eight into coverage. And that became the solution for how you beat Mike Leach's offense. It wasn't going to work in the SEC. They don't, it's too good in terms of the, the talent level on the defenses. Well, what have we seen now? Guys that have been in the system for a couple of years, guys that understand what they're seeing in terms of reads, what they're you know supposed to be doing against different coverages. And you 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 asked me what what makes it so difficult to to defend. Everybody's on the same page. Everybody understands they're seeing the same things, and Will Rogers is delivering the football in a timely fashion that allows those guys to make make yards after the catch. Like I I just I can't say enough about how much fun it is to watch their offense given what everybody thought was going to be an easy solution to defending them, Hester, and, and just dropping eight in the coverage. I mean, there's a lot of nuances that you have to make sure that you're on top of defensively. Obviously, the offense is kind of the old kiss mess, uh, kiss method. Keep it simple, stupid. I mean, there, there's not a lot there. I mean, he's got the note card. He doesn't have this play sheet, but you got to tackle. That's the one thing. When you play that team, you got to mm-hmm. tackle. I, I think they only have – 17 that might be high the passes that have gone 25 yards plus in the air I think that's actually high and they don't I mean we know that we know they don't want to throw the ball down the field it is all about intermediate routes and check downs and even a dig route but like a 12 yard dig route not an 18 yard dig route and that's part of that offense you got to keep them in front of you and you got to get them to the ground and so that's going to be the challenge for LSU and for the way LSU season started, losing to Florida State the way they did, this is an ultimate bounce-back spot for them. Brian Kelly's first SEC game going to be in Tiger Stadium. If you go out there and you beat a, a what I think is a good Mississippi State team, that changes the narrative and the path for your season as well. Let, let's talk about the contrary, though. What if they go out and lose to Mississippi State at home? I've already heard a lot of negativity around nationally. I think people enjoy disliking Brian Kelly. I think he's an easy guy to, to kind of talk about. Um, yeah. I found but, that out after the Florida state game. I didn't right? know it was like that. I definitely I, found I, it out on my Twitter feed on, on that. Yeah, night. I think people have a, an easy time cheering against him, but you know, what's which the, I don't what's, understand. I'm not, uh, maybe, maybe it's my Homerism. Maybe I got the no, purple and gold glasses I, on. I'm with you though. I, I think when I met him, when we were in Destin for spring meetings and when I had a chance to see him, you know, when we were in Atlanta, I found him to be quite the opposite. I, I thought he was cold before, but when I was with him, he was warm. He was, you know, personable. He had this air of confidence about him. I liked the guy after spending time with him. And I, I think, unfortunately, people judge him based upon what they think he's like and, and his experience at Notre Dame. But what's the LSU fan base situation like that? If they go out and lose, what's the temperature I know he's not on the hot seat, but no, the- look, look, people, people realize what this season was going to look like. I mean, you never hear in Baton Rouge eight and four, but that's what you're hearing during the off season, right? E- even if it's a team that's not a 10 win team, that was just, that's the standard in Baton Rouge. I mean, I, I know for me, when I played, like we never had a season, we didn't win 10 games. I mean, that's just, that's what it is. And they've won three national titles, second most to Alabama. We've talked about that. So that's the expectation, but people realize that you're hitting reset on the program. So, like, it's not going to be like a bloodbath if you lose this game, but you got to be, look, you, you're LSU. Like, you beat Mississippi State 18 straight times in recent memory. Like, no, you got to go out there, poke your chest out, and go play a game. And so, I think it's more about how it looks more than anything. 
right? It's how it looks. And are you in the game? Are you doing the things that you're supposed to be doing? So it's a great opportunity for both teams. Mississippi State is not very often a favorite coming into Baton Rouge, right? LSU, you're trying to get an SEC victory after having a loss to Florida State that's hard to explain, right, with the way that game ended. We all know that. So it's a great opportunity for both teams. I'm intrigued by it. Jane Daniels, he's been he's been exciting to me. I think a lot of people want to point to the first half against Florida State. Ever since then, he has led LSU to eight straight scoring drives. Eight straight scoring drives going back to the game against Florida State. Jake, this says a lot. Y'all playing against Southern now. Like, uh, you know <laughs> hey, what I'm saying? It was the Baton Rouge Derby. It was for the city, <laughs> TK. And I, I will, I'm just, I'm just, you know, we just stay. This is what I want to ask you, though. So, so when you look at that and you see this matchup coming up, like, what should we expect to see from the offense? You know, taking into consideration, yeah, yeah they got back into their groove. Uh, Kayshawn Booty, you know, should we see more intentional touches? I know he had at least out of the first 10 plays, he had three targets out of the first yeah. 10 plays. So what should we expect? Let, let, me, let me tell you what you're going to see is an offensive line that stinks because – and, and tell me how it got to this position, Hester. Like, LSU should never have an offensive line that looks the way that they did against Florida State. And I know we're talking about a couple young guys in there, uh, a guy out of position, a couple transfers from lower division. Like, how did it get to this point that the offensive line is what it is? I think you had you had all five move on, right? So you're completely hitting reset on it. And you're right. Look, you're right. Like the one thing that the state of Louisiana doesn't have is offensive alignment. And so when they do have one, you can't miss on it in recruiting. Yeah. Now they've got running backs. They certainly got DBs. They've got linebackers. They've got defensive line to match up with anybody. But it's been one of those things. You haven't produced a ton of it. And then you've missed on some. Some have gone other places. And so now you're trying to kind of piece it together with East Tennessee State, with Florida International, with some true freshmen at left tackle, right? And so you're trying to piece it together. And that was what the old staff and, and Brian Kelly said, he's used to a more athletic offensive line. And so they actually made a change at center. They put a lighter guy in there who's more athletic to try to fix it because, yeah, you're right, it's an issue. It was certainly an issue against Florida State. So they got to get that fixed. But back to TK's question, they do get John Emery back this week he can't play football in a long time it's been 15 games since he played they get him back this week so i'd like to see him get some touches Kayshawn booty's got to get involved you're right tk like they had a game plan hey we're gonna get you the ball we're gonna do it with a now pass we're gonna give it to you in reverse we're gonna do all these things you got to get him involved in the game plan he's one of the best in the country but hey also just like friday night lights you want to win let booby spin let Jaden spin put him out there let him do his deal let him go tempo that's when he's at his best. And if I'm a struggling offensive line, I'm going to go tempo because you can't set your defense. You can't come yep. up with all these games. You can't have the double A-gap mug blitzes that everybody hates. You can't do all that. One, because you're tired. And two, because you don't have time. I want to see him go tempo. I think that's when they're at their best. That's when Jaden Daniels is at his best. That's when that offensive line that's struggling is going to be at its best. And a lot of people just assume that Mississippi State goes tempo. They don't. They are actually not a team that goes tempo. They have muddle huddles. They're not going to sit there and huddle all game long. They use their play clock. And so Mississippi State's defense has not seen that all training camp like I keep hearing. That's not what Mississippi – that's a big misconception about Mississippi State. So if LSU wants to have success offensively, I think it's got to be with that tempo that we talk about. All right, Hester, is it time? 
Do we hey, need to hey, talk to Takia hey, now? It's not time it? for us it's, to talk. It ain't yeah. time for us to talk. It's time hey, for TK to right, talk. Let's talk about this matchup because I think one of the challenges that I'm excited about is the challenge that the fan base has. Like watching Auburn go to Happy Valley last year and see the whiteout and how loud that place was. Like I feel like Auburn's been looking forward to seeing what they could do in terms of returning the hospitality with the uh, atmosphere of Jordan Hare. Man, no doubt. Jordan Hare is one of those places, especially like I, I know you guys have noticed this morning when you woke up, you felt the nice, crisp breeze in the air. Oh, yeah. That's where you know it's kind of fall, baby. It's fall time. And, and the, cra- the crowd is going, they're going to be amazing. And they're going to start cooking out and tailgating on Wednesday this week. <laughs> already, they, they already coming down. So the atmosphere is going to be exactly what it needs to be because we do have to repay the favor. Uh, but when you look at this matchup, the main thing for me is what Auburn team or which Auburn offense is going to come out and play. You know, people say, well, he should not play two quarterbacks or people questioning it. I don't have a problem with it. The reason why is this. All three guys, well, both quarterbacks have value. But the big thing is when you look at the identity of the Auburn Tigers offense, it's a run offense. These guys are not passers, meaning they ain't sitting back and finna give you 250, 300 yards per game. And I think Bryant Coach Harson knows that. And that's why his play calls, they, they're indicative of that. You look at when Robbie Anderson comes in the game, it's going to be some specialty play to where he's keeping the football. He's averaging close to 10 yards to carry when he continues to get the football in his hand. You look at the backs that they have. Damari Austin, he's a freshman. He kind Every time he pops up in the frame, he's ripping off at least 7 to 10-yard run. Yeah. You know, you look at Jarquez, you look at Tank. So for me, I think the identity of this offense, what needs to come out and be shown early and often is let's run the football, let's try to put them in formations to where we have the angles and take advantage of that and try to get our quarterback in third and manageable down and distance situations, meaning third and five and less. I feel real good about their chances if they're able to do that, but I don't look at this offense and see them built as well, we can go 90 yards in X amount of minutes, or we can go 90 yards on a 12-play drive. I, I don't see this offense built like that. Let's go back to uh, a couple things, you know, in reviewing the game against San Jose State. Uh, Robbie Ashford is your leading carrier in terms of yards, 61 yards. Bigsby had 51 on 13 carries. Jarquez Hunter had 41 yards on eight carries. I know it's a different ball game, but – those guys definitely got to touch the ball more, right? I mean, you, you talk about the importance of the run game. That, that is a very good duo of running backs, and, and I, I just don't think through two weeks of the season they've had enough touches. No, I agree with you, but I, I, and I think that's just due to the fact of trying to find the identity of the team that you have. Let's, let's face it. You're not playing any world beaters the first two games. They're yeah. good football teams. But you're not, they're not teams that you will get embarrassed off of. So you have a little leeway to be able to see what worked for this quarterback, what worked for that quarterback. And I think now, for me, they're going into their third game. I think they have a good enough sample size to know 
not so much what you do good or what you do well, but you know what certain players don't perform well at. So now you're not putting them in that situation. And for me, my eyes are telling me the identity of this team needs to be a smash-smart football team, control the down and distance. Similarly, I, I want to say when I look at Arkansas, the way that they go about their business, smash mouth, run the football, lean in on their quarterback with the rushing. That's what Auburn has to do, especially with Robbie in the game. I think you're exactly right. And I think you said it exactly right. Your best players on your team, in my opinion, from the outside looking in, are your running backs. If you got a quarterback that can add value to those running backs, that's how you go out there and that's how you're successful. And I hope that they have a game plan that is exactly that. Exactly Pastor, like you're talking about. How did they how did they get Tank Bixby to stay? Like Tank Bixby was potentially on his way out. Like I have to imagine it was like, hey, you're gonna be more of a focal point in the offense. And I don't necessarily feel like it's been that way in the first two weeks. No, and, and we talked about that when it happened. Like, I thought, okay, man, they told him they got a game plan for him, not only yeah. carrying the ball, maybe he's going to do some different things in the offense, and he's going to get some more opportunities in the passing game because, he, look, we talked about him, and we talked about Kayshawn Booty from LSU and about how do you keep him there? How are you going to get him to stay? And we thought it was going to be a long shot. Well, both stay, and now we're sitting here, we're talking about it. How do you get both these players the ball? So that's what you got to do. Look, feed your beast. Feed the players that have the ability to take over a game. Tank has that ability. We've seen it. We saw it two years ago. Just feed him. Let that man have 25, 30, whatever, whatever the number is, and get him the ball in different ways because hey, let, that's how you win games. Let's not lie about it either. This was not a game where, hey, we blew the team out. They were on the sideline for the second half. No. They were in a dogfight, 24-16 yeah. final, that you needed these guys to keep. Yeah, you did. And I think that's the biggest takeaway as much as we look at San Jose State and, and feel like, well, they, they should have beat them down. No, they're a very well-coached football team. Very rarely you can turn on a tape and see college football teams align defensively against sets what Auburn presents, and guys are lined up in the right gap, and you see when motion happens, you see the linebackers adjusting to their new gap, and you see the, the secondary coming down. So, you know, for me, yeah, I want to see them do that, but – I can I I give them props for doing what they were supposed to do because when you look around the SEC, especially at the other team in the state of Alabama, they almost blew it when they came into a game with the three touchdown. Um, people thought they was going to win by three touchdowns against Texas. I love you, but I don't think we can compare San Jose State to, to Texas at this point. To keep, come on now. No, we can't. We can't. We can't. Well, I'm glad <laughs> you called me on that. I was just trying to, you know, trying That's to all make right. it. Hey, but. no, I will. I, I won't accept that comparison, but I will accept Texas A&M losing at home to App State like that. Yeah, Texas A&M. Yeah, that's, that's a, a game you got to win. You, there's no excuse for losing that football game, considering the what what App State was coming off of the previous week where they expended a lot of in energy and a comeback in the fourth quarter that fell just short, the emotional letdown there, traveling to College Station, the environment, the home field that we hear about all the time at Kyle Field that's supposed to be as, as electric as it is. That's not one that you can you can go out there and lose to uh, to a team like App State. Totally agree. Hey, TK, tell him you can compare whoever you want to compare. Oh, hey, don't that receiver. Don't I said that receiver I'm not sitting to next like to him. That. Like if I was sitting next to him in the studio, I wouldn't have said that. But because <laughs> I'm, you know, a couple hundred miles away, I'll say that. To, you know. Hey, you gonna see you this <laughs> weekend? Hey, listen, man. 
if you ain't, in order to, regardless of, listen, you are right, but let me tell you where I'm right. In the state of Alabama, they ain't looking at LSU. They're not looking at uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss. They're not even looking at Texas A&M. The people at Auburn are always watching what the team up north is doing. Hey, I love that you brought that up, though, because I think I think the first week of the season, even the second week of the season is an interesting time. Like we all took great pleasure other than and Hester's alma mater letting us down. We all took great pleasure in the SEC. Hold winning, on now. Hold on you know, now. The first, don't, don't make me roll it out there. Going 13, 13 and 0 prior to uh, to LSU losing hey. against Florida State. Hey, but, oh, well, Chad, you know what? Chill out. TK. Hey, listen to this. LSU's beat Florida nine of the last 12, seven of the last nine, four of the last five, and three in a row, just in that case he up. wants to you get a little bit of Did you? Yes, God. sir. Hey, I always got to let him know. Ooh. I always got to let him know. All right. So he's, let's he's go. sitting over there waxing poetically about Florida State, a Florida guy. No, I'm not. Dude, oh. I'm, nobody was cheering as hard for LSU. Well, <laughs> other than PB, I was going to say. <laughs> no one in that studio that night was cheering as hard, but you guys saw the video uh, PB on my Instagram. But I'll go back and say this. Like, the question is, when Alabama's playing Texas or they're playing an out-of-conference opponent, do Auburn fans cheer for or against Alabama? Not you. Not you as an SEC network guy, but somebody that the average Auburn fan. Oh, they always going to cheer. They got, No, they never cheer for Alabama. Never? Never. No. Like never. It, even it, in even if they were playing in the national championship. No. Why? Because that's one more that we gotta fucking go get at the <laughs> end of the day. That's why. It's interesting for me Thank though, you. guys, because like I hate I hate Florida State uh, probably more than, than anybody else, but Florida State's not an SEC team yet at this point. If they're they're still an out-of-conference team, so it's easy for me to hate them, but like you having to live in the same state with your arch rival and play in the same conference makes it, you know, a little extra testy, doesn't it? Extra hot, saucy, just, oh, just filthy. Just a, just so everybody knows, my boy Takio's my my boy Takio's word for uh, for the uh, roll cue on uh, was it Friday or Saturday? Was it Friday? Friday, Friday. The roll cue was, was it uh, saucy or spicy? What was it? Spicy? Feisty. 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 Yeah. So we got, we, and I don't know if we should give this secret away. Should we give it away? We've had a couple drinks here in pregame in the <laughs> SEC. Maybe we'll just, we'll just uh, talk around it a little bit, but sometimes you'll hear curious word usage on our shows on Fridays and Saturdays. And maybe, maybe you'll see a, you know, a, a video rolled after that. You know, maybe you'll see yeah. something, mm-hmm. you know, cute. You gotta be locked in. It's classic, though. Classic. I wish I... Oh. See, they had a nice word, too. What was one word that you used to well, roll I, You know, two weeks ago, Hester, I was able to use the word erect in a, a sentence that sounded football appropriate. <laughs> and uh, I was talking about a, a quarterback not standing in the pocket like a statue, all erect, you know? I, yeah, I mean, yeah. So, you know, whatever the word is that our producer gives us, we got to find a way to mix it in. Oh, and, I get it. Uh, I get you know, it. I like that awesome. game. I like it's that awesome, game. Bro. All right, uh, TK, we kept you way longer than we should have. So before we let you go tonight, give us the prediction of the game. How's it going to go? I mean, is Auburn going to have more points than Penn State at the end of the day? Absolutely. Okay. And if if 
All right, let's be real. <laughs> That's what I'm hoping for. Okay. Like I, I'm, I really am, and I don't know. You know, I'm always gonna be one thousand percent real. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I know Penn State quarterback. From my research, I've found. You know, he's he sometimes think Christmas times come early. So he would throw some gifts out there. Okay. You know, just to put this into perspective, you know, like uh, Auburn turnover ratio is like they haven't gotten in it. They have, they're, they're minus four. So I think it's time now for the defense to create turnovers and have that coming out party so everybody can see, whoa, these what, guys can play. Hey, what do they say, Takeo? Turnovers happen in bunches, right? You know, they happen in bunches, yet, baby. but that, that dam's about to break, right? They get one. That means a lot of them are coming on Saturday. All we need is one. All we need is one. So I tell you what, we, we might have to make a little friendly little wager or something for the studio CD. We're, no, bro, I'm cheering for Auburn almost as hard as you are. Like, we need to call up some Penn State. Who's some Penn State teammates that you played with over the years that we can call up and get, get some bets going? Oh, yeah. We can get LeVar Arrington. Yes. I play with LeVar, too. Yeah, that's yeah. right. That's right. Yeah. In Washington. Yeah. yeah. All yeah, right. So uh, I don't know if I have a Penn State teammate. If I do, if you're listening, my bad. I forgot about you. <laughs> they're, they're <laughs> if I had you, right? <laughs> I forgot about you. I don't know. Maybe it's no logo on the helmets. I don't know what it is. But, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I have one. Uh, are, you, are either one of you old enough to play with Kajana Carter? That's yeah. another name yeah. to play for the Bengals. Yeah, we played with Kajana. We both did. Okay. See, yeah. there you I go. Was there, I was there a lot more briefly than what uh, Takiya was. But, uh, yeah, I had a chance to be around Kajana. Let, all, right, all right, let's go back and think. Who's your favorite? I know you, don't, you can't think of one right now, but favorite Penn State teammate of all time? I feel, like, I feel like CD had somebody on in, on his mind when he asked. All you right, that. now let's go. Let's do this. Favorite, favorite Penn State player you've ever watched. That's my dog makes an appearance here. You know, you know, I'm going. Bobby with? Ingram was great. Bobby Ingram was amazing. Yeah. Um, Kajana. Kajana was, was awesome. Like he was really awesome. Uh, shit. He was he was number one overall pick, right? Yeah, yeah, it was. Yeah, I think he was number one. One of them. Yeah, something like that. You're you're forgetting Joe Jaravicious. You know, all the white wide receivers got to stay together too, right? Dang, I forgot about Joe (laughs) Jaravicious. I think I played with Joe somewhere. I can't remember. I love this guy. Like he played. What'd you get? Fifteen years in the league. Yeah. Fifteen playing linebacker, which is you know, I I would be. I'd wonder what the average lifespan of a not a lifespan, but career span of a a linebacker in the NFL is. It's got to be less than four years. This guy played it for fifteen, and he he runs across all these different guys, but can't place where he where he knew him. I was about to say (laughs) he's had so many teammates. He don't remember which team. I mean, fifteen years in the league. Yeah, it has been a while, but you remember the good. And I remember your ass, CD, and I definitely remember you, Jake. So I guess y'all did something right. <laughs> there we go. Did something right or something horribly wrong, but either way, rememberable. It was memorable. That's all that matters. Uh, it's good to be good to be on with you again here. Uh, you know, look forward to our, our Fridays and Saturdays together. Absolutely. As we're starting to develop a little routine. You know, we get right. the Friday post-show uh, dinner together, getting a 
Saturday night, Saturday night's fun, right? After the, the, the long day in the studio, get a chance yeah, to, we think to go we out found and a new spot. So we, yep. we, 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 we'll be indulging in that after, after yep. the show. Yep. DK, so. you're the man. Always a pleasure. Cheers to you. Cheers, we'll fellas. You on, I'll be watching you with CD. Hey, don't hurt him too bad for that comment he made, but it's always a pleasure. We appreciate you pregaming with us. Already, man. Y'all be easy, bro. Stay up. All right, unfortunately, before we wrap it up here on episode three, we're going to throw it to the Big Terp and recap our air quotes, best bets. Why do Big we keep, Terp, using, why, why do do we we keep using the word unfortunately? Because, I, I, because, okay, I'm, I'm glad I got the victory that I had last week, but Big Terp, just tell the people how bad I was. This guy forgets that he just led wire to wire last year. Now it's all somber and it's all best bets. Woe is me. But yeah, I know Hester, you got on the board. You did. You went, you went one and two. And I do need to point out, you, you hit the Kentucky plus six, but you did ask for them money line. You asked for the plus six dog money line. So if we're talking straight units, it's going to look better than just a one and five record. But unfortunately, we're doing records one and five, but one and two last week. You missed on the Bama minus 20. And the South Carolina plus eight, we thought you might have gotten a back door there, but Close. unfortunately you did not. Uh, come on, Spencer. However, on the other side of things, CD is happy about the uh, the mm-hmm. non-back door there because CD did hit Arkansas minus I mean, let, eight. Let's be honest, Big Turp. Like, it was 21 to three. It was becoming a runaway. That's all my boy, my boy Hester had the hopes of was a backdoor cover. I was on the right side. I broke it down and handicapped it properly. And my boy was on his knees begging for some late scoring. Man, I didn't even look, look, chill out. I didn't even want points from your (laughs) Florida Gators. Okay. I knew Kentucky was going to go in there and they were going to take care of business. I could have gave you nine points. No, I wouldn't have taken that. I was part of the thing. I said, look, just take the points. That's too many points. The public's gotten carried (laughs) away. So I'm with you on that. But I I think there's a theme, right? The, the, the one game that I lose every week is the one that I share with Hester, right? Yeah, I I will say, see, fade me fade it <laughs> fade hester cd you're four and two on the season yeah. but in bets not shared with hester you are a clean four yeah. and oh so well, it's yeah, wait wait do we, do we, i mean forward. you came on this podcast and we're like alabama's gonna whip yes. texas ass it ain't gonna be a game i, mean, I you declared went all it, in. if anything i declared it before you so i was the one leading us off the cliff i probably should have uh in hindsight you know, been a little bit more true to my preseason prediction with my concern about the offensive line and the receivers. But uh, at the end of the day, I'll take the four and two record right now. Big yeah, turf. Should. I mean, it's, I'm happy with that. We're making money right now, uh, but I think we're due for a three and O sweep coming up. Hess. I yeah, think we it's need coming. A, a it's coming this week. Day for us this Saturday. It's coming this week. All right. So stay locked in. And remember, if you're listening to this podcast, pre-gaming the SEC, Go ahead, go to Apple, go to Spotify, like, subscribe, do it all. Go to YouTube. You can now see our faces. You can see CD's dog as well, making an appearance. Shout out. Butters Butters is sad when I'm out of town. When I'm home, he's all over me here, as you're saying right now. All right. Shout out, Butters. He's here hanging out with us as well. You can subscribe on YouTube as well. We would love for you to do that. Also, we'd love for you to go to Walk-Ons Sports Bistro, walk-ons.com. There is a location. If you are in an SEC town, if they're not already in your city, they are coming to your city, or they have somewhere very close to you. So go check out Walk-Ons Sports Bistro. Are we getting one here in Gainesville? I, I have to imagine, CD, that yeah, it's coming. Yeah, what are we coming. doing? It's, if it's not, it's soon. Okay, there's a lot of – there's Pensacola, there's Tallahassee, there's Lakeland, there's Orlando – 
There's Kindle. Where's Kindle, Florida? I don't Kindle's know where that's in Miami. At. That's down okay. in uh, South Florida. Um, there's one, uh, Kissimmee. Is that, is Kissimmee? that it? Kissimmee's Orlando Kissimmee. area. Okay. Yeah. All right. All right. So they got the Orlando area covered. Yeah. They're in Tallahassee. They're in the panhandle. They're coming to you soon. I know we got to get one. We, we just got the raising canes here coming in Gainesville. So we got to get the, uh, the walk-ons bistro. Here Wesley well. chapel. Where's that at? That's Tampa area. Okay. Uh, V I E R A Vera. V I E R A V I E R A. It's Did like in the Melbourne area. No, it says it says it right here. It says Melbourne, Florida. Like it's in that it area. I don't know. You're the Florida guy. I don't know. Look, I don't. Need, I don't look, even know. Look, we that. we spell things with like an E A U X here. Like if it looks like it, like Robert anywhere else is Robert here, right? Herbert anywhere else is A Bear here. Basically, look. So I, you know, I don't know what to tell you. I'm just trying to spell it out for you, literally. I was checking out of my hotel in. Uh in Charlotte the other day, there was a guy with the Saints jersey on in front of me with the G-E-A-U-X-H-A-R-D. I love to go hard. Spelled like that. It was great. <laughs> <laughs> oh, all right. That's going to do it for this episode from my man, Big Turt, for CD and for TK Takeo Spikes. Great guest. As always, we will see you next week on Pre-Gaming the SEC.